Welcome, everybody, to episode 20 of the Beyond Red and Blue podcast. I'm your host, Bo Richards, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Dan Humphrey. Hey, hey, hey. Today, we are going to talk about the only thing of importance in America at the moment, which is the fact that our president not really arguably actually incited a riot and potential sedition. <laughs> Yep. On Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> so that just happened. So, uh, yeah, so so that, that's a thing. Um, I'm just going to be silent for a second to let that sink in for it. <laughs> Craziness. Yeah. In, in keeping with uh, <clears throat> what, what's, what I typically do, um, I don't really, even though I've followed the news more since you and I have started this podcast. I, I really don't look that much at the news. And often I only will look things up when we've decided on a topic to discuss and I'll try and do a little bit of research to bolster the knowledge that I already have. So my, I think my girlfriend came home like Wednesday night. Um, and she was like, I was like, how was your day? And she's like, I didn't get anything done because of the riots. And I was like, what are you talking about? And she's like, a whole bunch of she's like you don't under what do you what she's like you don't know and i'm like no i've just been kind of hanging out like i I just don't really look at the news nothing like being out of the loop for a major event i've had that happen before i was like what yeah and she's like yeah the whole day i watched uh you know trump supporters were supposed to you know showed up at the capitol and i was like i knew that was going to happen i actually thought it was supposed to happen on the seventh not the sixth i thought i had read that it was the seventh um but whatever the case i knew that they were going to do that and that it was possible that violence would occur um and she's like yeah so they showed up and then they just basically pushed themselves all the way into and then broke into the capitol building and proceeded to uh unleash mayhem She's like, so I didn't get anything done. Her her job is uh, um, like the she works remotely and has for her the whole existence of her of her of her job. But the her actual company is based in D.C. Oh, and <laughs> we actually and so I actually looked up where they live or where their office is a, a couple of years ago. because We were going to go out and um, see them and uh, stay there in D.C. And they're like th literally three blocks from the White House. They're actually on, I believe, Pennsylvania Avenue, like the actual avenue that that runs that that White House is on. They're like three blocks down. Like, oh wow, it's um, it's a straight shot. I actually think you might be able to see the White House if you walk outside of their building and look the proper direction. Yeah. Um, and so they were given the day off. <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> they were told they were told to go home for anyone who's at home and just to be safe. Um, but. Yeah, so that seemed kind of prescient to talk about. Obviously, um, we were going to talk about something else. Uh, I don't even remember what it was now. I think it was religion. Um, yeah, we can cover that later. Yeah, let, 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 let's talk some more about this. So I did a bit of research, not a lot. Um, I wanted to kind of um, I talked to my girlfriend a bit about what she knew, and I wanted to get uh, kind of your your thoughts and your take on it. Plus, most of the stuff that I was reading was just kind of the recent, the same thing, just rehashed, right? There's there's like three narratives of what's going on, yep. um, and uh, they're all said slightly differently, but kind of convey the same message. And so, um, I'm actually surprised that it's taken this long 
for something like this to happen? Personally. Well, to me, I think it's it's um, that uh, lends itself as evidence that Trump is not trying to um, incite a revolution. He's just a narcissist that likes the attention. And the riling up of his crowds is really what he feeds on. Yeah. And because he's a fucking idiot. I mean, he clearly is by not understanding the potential consequences of the words that he says that actually happened. He just wanted to rile up his crowd. I don't think that anybody, um, I won't say anybody, I don't, definitely don't think that Trump and I don't think the vast majority of the people in that crowd were of the mind to violently overthrow the government and execute the officials that they ran into and establish a new order or, or any of that. Like when you think of a revolution mm -hmm. where you have, you know, uh, uh, historically a revolution where a bunch of rebels show up with guns and they take over and they establish a new order and say, this is how it's going to be. No, these people were just fucking idiots that got caught up in the moment. And I'm not excusing any of this. Um, but what I'm saying is it wasn't the intention to violently overthrow the government for the sake of installing a new one. Trump got yeah. out of hand. And when you get out of hand with a large group of people and groupthink kicks in, this is what can happen. Um, y yes, I agree. Yeah. I don't want to give cre uh, Trump too much credit here, but I'm going to usually I, I reserve these crazy theories that I come up with at the towards the end for the end of the podcast, but I'm going to postulate one at the top since we're talking about this. Um, and let's see if hopefully I can articulate it well, but um, it is possible though. Like I said, I don't necessarily want to give Trump the credit though. It, like I said, it's possible that what he's doing is a great big fuck you like troll um, like he's trolling what he sees as the craziness on the left. Um, like I said, I, I don't want to give him too much credit and say that that's what he is doing. And I don't, I, I mean, it just seems to me that there's a lot of similarities with the rhetoric that comes out on the left. And I don't want to, and also too, I want to pull back a second because I don't really want, we, we denigrate the left quite a bit in, in part because we're both uh, at least to some degree on the left. And, um, you know, we both agree that there's some issues with the left. I don't really want to focus this focus this uh, podcast too much on them simply because um, what Trump and the GOP have done for a long time, but what occurred was strictly the fault of the right, I think, in this situation. But yep. a lot of the rhetoric and, and stuff that comes out of, has, has came out of academia and then filtered into <clears throat> the real world and then comes out of political activism um, on the left is basically what Trump did is it was there's all these problems. I'm a victim. We're victims. We need to overthrow. You need to stand up and take arms. You need to actively protest and you need to um, fight back against what um, what should rightfully be yours. Um, if property violence is not actually violence then what they did isn't outside of the deaths, of course, isn't really violence at all. And so there's a there's a lot of similarities that I see. 
And again, I don't want to get uh, to reiterate like a fifth time. I don't want to give Trump too much credit, but there's part of me that wonders if he's like aware of this and is just trying to troll the left by saying, see, I can do what you can't. Fuck you. Um, I don't think so. I mean, I hear what you're saying. I don't either. I don't don't think that's the case. I think that this really highlighted um, Trump's ignorance in leadership. Sure. Understanding what could actually happen. His absolute narcissism of continuing to ramp up the all about me. And it got out of hand. Um, I think he should absolutely be charged and impeached and and gotten the fuck out of there. Not so much. um, I mean, you know, he's a short timer. He's got what, 12 days left. And it seems like the people around him are taking defensive postures in that they're not going to let him start a nuclear war or anything like that. Um, The people around him are smart enough to, to hopefully do some damage control in that area. But the fact is the sitting president of the United States incited a seditious riot. That's what happened. Regardless of Mm -hmm. his intent, that is what fucking happened. And if we set the precedent that he gets any sort of a pass, yes, then we're just leaving open the door for this kind of thing in the future. Because the thing is, as bad as Trump is, and obviously we can see he's incredibly dangerous, um, I mean, he's a, he's a fucking clown. But if someone got in there that could tap into that same group of people, the people that, that really believe in what Trump's saying and they believe all his lies... You know, we're discovering now that there is a large base of people in this country that will fall for that. If someone who does have a revolutionary malintent gets a hold of those people, it could be 10 times worse. Someone who's actually smart, charismatic, and politically savvy enough to uh, take advantage of that group of people, then that could be a legitimate civil war. And if we allow that to happen, it's almost a certainty that it would. Yes, I I don't disagree with that. I I would push back a bit. I do think that um, I think that Trump is intelligent, charismatic and a political genius. That would be my pushback. I do think he has those qualities. I think the thing that separates him from what it sounds to me like you're uh, who you're describing is somebody who is aware of and willing to engage in democratic political norms. I think that's what separates him from other people is that he he gives a big fuck you to what politicians typically do. And so he's automatically cast as the other in any political sphere. Right. And so he, it's hard for him to come in and bump noses and, and sort of have that general, that normal char- charisma where like people like him. And then he all of a sudden is like, we're going to overthrow. He comes in as the enemy, public enemy number one to start. And there is a little bit of a difference there. Um, but I do agree. I, I think that um, someone is going to come in who exhibits that, those additional characteristics of, understanding the political game better maybe or maybe be more willing to play the game while at the same time inciting or uh, not inciting um tapping into that uh 
moral righteousness and anger that um, Trump's followers, some of Trump's followers do have. Well, I think it's it's, it's to to refine because I agree with what you said, but I, I could refine it a little bit in that I don't think he's a political genius. I think he's a political savant. He had okay, sure. He's yeah, he's a I, marketing I that, yeah. he's a marketing genius, and he uses those skills in a political arena, which in twenty twenty one is effective. But if someone came in with the the intent to actually set up their own regime. And it doesn't mean they're going to be politically correct. Obviously, the tactics of politically incorrectness uh, work with this crowd. So I'm not saying it's going to be a nice guy, but he's going to intentionally and strategically use the same tactics that Trump uses just for his own means. But someone could come in and do that for the sake of setting up a new regime. We we see now that the country is susceptible to that. Well, I think the country's always been susceptible to that. And um, and this is partly, this is a big reason why I, I didn't want to shift any of the blame or or take up in, uh, too much time in the podcast to, talking about the fault of the left. Because um, th- as we try and, you know, be apolitical, um, it, it can be, it's easy to, I want to point fingers at both for their faults. And it, as far as I can tell, like a lot of this does fall on the GOP. Most of this, pretty much all this does, but I, I see similarities on both sides. And so I want to talk about them, but um, there's been a decent number of instances throughout at least modern history, say since the time of Reformation in the 1850s, where in, in particular, mostly in the 20th century, where there have been outsider political candidates who have ha- garnered a lot of um, populist power, like power amongst the people but who were shut down by the parties themselves. And so it it is incredibly um, easy to generate buzz amongst the people. And I I think people for, I I don't think that the the, the public understands how easy that is. Like um, McCarthy was a good example back in the, um, in the early 20th century. With McCarthyism and all that, he um, had a lot of support fighting against communists and and all of that stuff. And he he never actually did give out his list of names, if I I believe, of all the communists. And I'm, I'm sure he had them. I'm there's still are legitimate communists within academia and the government, um, at least at least in academia for sure. But um, he had a lot of support. Pat Buchanan was another guy um, who was uh, very conservative a very authoritarian who had a lot of public support. Uh, there was a a, um, a Catholic priest, I forget his name offhand, I'll, I'll think of it later, but he was extraordinarily anti-Semitic and had a very anti-Semitic, like pro-Christian white uh, racist message that a, a large number, he, he had the largest like um, uh, uh, radio network in the country and it was all, to push his like religious agenda and people loved him. He had like a couple million v- subscribers to it and people loved him. And he tried to run for office and uh, the government, the uh, powers that be, you know, like the, the GOP or the, uh, the Democrats, I forget which side he was on back in the day, but they were like, no, you're an outsider. Who's a joke. You're not, we're not considering you for a candidacy. They just shut it down, which they have the power to do the, 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 um, the DNC and the GOP, you know, they, they kind of pick and choose, 
at the, the final tally who really is going to be the president or who's going to be their nominee for the president. And we saw this issue in 2016 between Bernie and Hillary, right? There was some legitimate issues with how Hillary won the DNC nomination, right? There was a lot of people who were who speculated and possibly correctly that um, the DNC pushed Bernie out so that Hillary would become the nominee and because they have a huge amount of power. Oh, yeah. Well, the, the gatekeeping happens on both sides of the primary level. No, it does. Yeah, and it, there's a to, reason for that. Yeah. Yeah. Like Andrew Yang and Tulsi Gabbard and uh, big, folks like uh, that. Yeah. They're just uh, not allowed the, to play. What's the, Indi the, the Indiana mayor, the, 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 the guy who's gay? Um, Buttigieg? Yeah. Is that Buttigieg, his, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Who's another one uh, who was kind of very early on kind of pushed out. Um, yeah. No, very true. And like there's some inherent corruption with that, but there's also. Um, an inherent value in that too. It's kind of one of those, uh, it, it has, I, so I talked to you a bit, uh, uh, a, a couple of days ago about the book, how democracies die. I just finished um, listening to that. So I'm, I'm right okay, there yeah. with you. Yeah. Um, so yeah. this is where I'm going with this. And, um, for those who haven't read it, read how democracies die. I didn't, I don't have the, uh, the authors, uh, of the book, um, in front of me at the moment, but there's two of them. It's a great book. Um, bottom line, though, um, the the gatekeeping that is done by both parties is um, was broadly speaking was created as a way to um, do what the electoral college was initially created to do, which was to stop an authoritarian from gaining power, because it's right. easy to gain populist power. And if you have populist power, an authoritarian can easily come into power. So the Electoral College was created to sort of stop that so that each state could have their own little control. Um, and then this was prior to, to a, a very uh, um, polarized two-party system, even though polarized isn't the right word there, um, because by and large, Democrats and Republicans for a very long period of time were almost one and the same. There really wasn't that much difference. And so the parties themselves, the, the heads of the parties, were the gatekeepers. Um, I believe Grover Cleveland is a great example of, of a president who was elected um, by gatekeeping alone. He, uh, he was um, fifth or sixth in terms of delegates for the Republicans. Um, before the primaries were done, he was he, like he basically had zero chance to win. And a bunch of the, the the GOP brass got together in a room, smoked cigars and drank and played poker for like 12 hours one night and decided that he was the best person because he was the one who would listen to him. Yeah. That was how they chose him is like, we think he's going to be the best because he's the one we can pull the strings the best. And so they went out and were like, Grover, you're going to be the the Republican nominee, and then he got nominated. And literally nobody, literally no one was like, yeah, he's got a chance. And when he was nominated, they were like, why the fuck did, was he nominated? And then when he won, everyone was like, how the fuck did he win? Gatekeeping. Yep. So there's some corruption to that. It's all, it's all corruption. But at the same time, it's designed to stop Trump from Trump's from getting into office. And it enforces the political norms. And it's not so much about the laws, but it's the norms that really hold everything together. Um, well, the that's the thing is there are no laws really for this kind of thing. There's just right. the what do they refer to and how democracies die? It's uh, soft guardrails, right? It's yeah. it's political norms or even social norms, for that matter, that um, people adhere to to keep democracy safe. Uh, so How Democracies Dies by Stephen Levinsky, 
and Daniel Ziblatt. Ziblatt, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we can put that in the show notes. Yeah, very highly uh, recommended. Uh, it's right a great, yeah, great. It's a it's a really good book. Um, it's uh, I don't know if they necessarily intended it to be, but it, it um, it's like reading a uh, political, it's a political biography that mimics uh Trump, but sometimes doesn't explicitly state that it's about Trump. But you're pretty clear that it is. Because he does so much of the stuff that they're concerned with, and then they they do bring up Trump quite a bit because he does so much of the stuff they're stuff they're concerned with. But um, it's uh, he checks off all the authoritarian boxes. Um, he passes all of the tests, all the and stuff that were um, that sh- the GOP should have he should have failed when it comes came to running for president. The GOP should have shut him down in 2012 when he said shit. Um, they should have never allowed him to to get past the primaries at all, um, and and so I think maybe this would be a good place to sort of to 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 to, to continue is um, to talk about culpability. Okay, like who's who's to blame going forward? Who should take responsibility? Um, going forward, we could also push into it should he be impeached or not that's another issue but um i'm curious what uh where you'd like to uh to move because we're, we're kind of touching on both yeah i mean it, it's a tough one for trump for sure i think uh should be held liable for this whether it's uh impeachment or actual charges brought against him or what have you but just for the sake of not allowing something like this to get a pass and become the precedent um he he fucked up big enough that he really needs to be made an example of in my opinion yes. um but beyond that i think that you know trump is trump is trump and you know he is what he is therefore it's the the members of the gop that allowed this to happen that empowered him to do all the stuff that he has done that I think are uh, culpable as well. I don't think he could bring mm-hmm. any of them to justice, um, but I think it's absolutely their fault. And I think it falls mostly with the the people that aggressively tried to um, overturn the election. So Ted Cruz um, and some of the other fucks that were really pushing hard on that, um, particularly. Mm-hmm the uh majority leader mitch mcconnell i I think he's he is uh largely to blame for this as well for just for enabling it um and and not so much when i say specifically the riot but rather allowing the environment to continue that would allow trump to be trump because they yes. they have to know, they have to realize, frankly, what a piece of shit he is. However, it's very useful for them and their political agenda. Agenda, so they you know they roll with it. It's working out great for them because they're getting what they want. But deep down, they got to know he's just a bad person that should not be running the most powerful country in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think in 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 terms of culpability. It's, you know, the leadership of the GOP and Trump. 
I think there's also the element of um, of adjusting to the new reality that is the social dilemma. Meaning, you know, we talked about this a few podcasts ago, but the current state of social media and how that is affecting our society um, is allowing this to happen in a much more rapid fashion than it ever, ever would have before. So I think there needs to be an understanding that um, these things can tip really fast because we can communicate really fast and create echo chambers really fast. Mm-hmm. So there is no more, um, no more public, publicly acknowledged set of facts that people are trying to make sense of the world on. We, we don't have agreed upon facts anymore. Uh, this is the stuff we've all talked about. But it's it makes the shift so much more rapid. Yes, that that needs to be realized. Now, on the other hand, and this is this is gravely concerning to me, is the fact that Twitter shut down Trump's account. He's been you know he's also blocked from Facebook and like Instagram and stuff. But mm-hmm. the latest piece I heard, I'm sure this will develop. But the latest piece I heard was that Twitter has permanently banned his account. And I'll say, on a personal level, I find that very satisfying. Ha ha ha, fuck you. But the reality <laughs> is, we have a handful of people in Silicon Valley that are deciding who does and who does not get to speak up to and including the President of the United States of America. This is of grave concern on the level of a seditious riot at the Capitol. Mm-hmm. Who the fuck are these people to get to decide who gets to talk and who doesn't? Uh, and they're not going to get any pushback on that right now because everything's, yeah, shut Trump up. That's a good thing. He's inciting violence. Um, and again, on a personal level, I find that satisfying. However, if that issue does not get addressed and thoroughly worked out, um, it's only going to cause enormous problems down the line. No, that I totally agree. And so basically what you're describing is my my assumption is that Facebook is rationalizing this as well. If we allow him to keep speaking, he could incite more violence. Yes. And, and so, you can totally make a case um, for that. But uh, it, yeah, right. Well, here's what comes to mind, though, to me, and I'm going to make another I love making nerdy Harry Potter references. Um in Harry Potter 5, Harry Potter and one of the Weasley twins punch Malfoy in the face after a Quidditch match. And Dolores Umbridge bans them and then the the other twin from Quidditch for life. And she states that the other twin she's banning because had he been there, he would have punched Malfoy too. That's what's going on. It's like, well, <laughs> if you were there, if you were there, you also would have done it. So the fact that you weren't there means nothing to me. Like, you're still culpable. And... um that this is that kind of logic only on a kind of a more gr- a grander scale because we're we're dealing with the president of, of of the US but the the point is that this is a minority report right like the movie with with Tom Cruise it's like you in the future may commit a murder so we have to stop you now or in this case commit a like a hate crime let's say or is inciting violence but that is i, I agree it's deeply concerning because and that that's actually the pro that's the that's the actual line between free speech and restricting speech is like 
where do you, near as I can tell, it's like, how do you straddle that line? Yeah. Like truly, and that's a legitimate question. And, and I think that maybe part of the point of having a free society that has free speech is that you must always, as a society, keep a watchful eye on that line. Otherwise, something bad happens, whether one way or the other. You can never take your eye off of that line, though. You have to have that constant vigilance to make sure that that line does not get um, infringed upon or moved too far. Because if it does, whichever way, shit goes bad quick, you know, and... And, I mean, it's it's tricky because, you know, as you all know, you can't yell fire in a crowded movie theater. And that makes sense because people can get hurt. So it's not to say that you just allow Trump to say whatever the fuck he wants. But mm-hmm. to cut off someone's ability to communicate in what has become the de facto standard for effectively the planet on these digital platforms um that needs to be recognized and addressed. Um, and I think what a lot of people miss is with rights come responsibilities. And you can't separate the two. If you have mm-hmm. a right to free speech, you have a responsibility that goes with that. Um, well, and- not only you, but me. Like, I have a responsibility for your rights, too. Exactly. We all like have. I- we all have these rights. We also have these responsibilities. And it goes both ways. And I think people um, too much, they're very selfish in their want for rights, but they don't want any of the responsibility and they don't acknowledge the responsibility of others. Exactly. In giving them those, those, uh, those rights. And like, I can give you an example. If, if 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 I have the right to say what I want, and I have an opinion, and you have an opinion that I don't like, and I get angry, and I yell at you and shout you down, maybe I cancel you on Twitter, I dox you, I call you a every phobe in the world, a trans, a homo, a phobe, whatever, and I don't allow you to speak, I can do all that while exercising my free right to speak, right? Like that's my right as a person, but I am not exercising any responsibility in your right to say what you believe as well. And you might ask yourself, well, what if the person is saying something really mean? And it's like, exactly. What you do is you listen and you shut it down with better ideas. You don't shut it down. Because then you're not taking any responsibility. Then you're just being a dick. You're just an asshole who is selfish. And that isn't how a free democracy works. Because only the loudest person will be left on the playground. Everyone else will just leave. Either because they don't want to be there anymore or because they're forced out. And so I don't think enough people understand that. Like, that's why, you know, you and I in particular, you know, and many other people, though, are, are very big on having open dialogue. It's that there's a lot of things that I do not agree with. Right. And, and on the left and on the right, but 
if we spent our whole podcast just calling people names, like I, we learn nothing and they don't want to interact and no one's going to listen because it's like, well, they're not saying anything. It's like, why don't we try and articulate better points and give them, be responsible for their right to articulate what we feel are dumb points, maybe, or just misguided, ill-advised, what have you, and then try and make the ideas better. Um, well, I mean, I think the, the reality of the human nature is if people are not allowed to work it out with words, they're going to work it out with lead and steel. Simple yeah. as that. I mean, if if you shut everybody down so they can't communicate with each other to work it out, there are no more tools left except for violence. I mean, I heard someone go ahead. Uh, you know, free speech is critical to prevent that kind of violence. You know, we we work it out with words. We respect each other's opinions, even if we disagree with them, and yeah. we come to the compromises that end up working for everybody, most everybody. You know. Yeah, I um I think it was an article or maybe it was a meme. I don't know. I, I saw it a, a long a while ago now, probably in the last year or two. But um, it it highlighted kind of what you're talking about, and basically it was the, the whole gist of it was that um, the left has um, attacked this battle or this ideological war, civil war, let's say that the U.S. is in. Because we're in some kind of a culture war. I don't think that there, there probably are very few people right now who have yet to acknowledge or would disagree with the notion that we're in at least the beginnings, if not the middle of a culture war. Yeah. And um, but the whole point of like the like I said, the, the meme or the story, the article, I forget, but was that um, the left has decided to attack the culture war um, at the level of words. And you see that we've talked a lot about redefining words and all that. They're they're the master of the um, of discourse, and so the whole joke of the of the thing that I saw was that that forces kind of what you're saying everyone else to if they don't have words what do they have they have lead and steel and um, and the joke is that that's really bad for lefties because the right are way better armed. Yep. Because they're the ones who more believe in the Second Amendment and are more likely to open carry and all these like they're the ones who have all the ammunition. And um, it's like it's kind of like it's a dark joke, right? It's like you sit there and you shut it down all the words that we're able to use. We're just going to go get our guns. Yep. And we're going to see who's going to win this the old fashioned way. And. And it's uh, it's dark, I think but accurate. Well, I mean, it's accurate after Wednesday, too. I think you saw a little bit of that with the footage and with the reports of the storming of the Capitol. It's like, up to this point, I the um, the focus of Antifa and, because I think it's mostly been Antifa uh, riots. I don't know. I actually don't know to the degree that the rights of, how much, with, with how much the rights have occurred. Um, over the summer and the the fall, how much of it has actually been like peaceful Black Lives say Black Lives Matter protesters turning violent? I think a lot of it actually has been Antifa itself. But um, whatever whatever that case may be, the focus has, and there's been very little focus on the amount of weapons they have. And in fact, I'm pretty sure there hasn't been very many weapons at all. It's mostly been homemade, like you know, Molotov cocktails and just a lot of like um, breaking of federal, destroying federal buildings with like wood and bats and stuff. Yeah weapon like but guns have not really been a big thing i think everybody was armed someone was arrested for having like what 300 or 3000 rounds on them 
at this protest. Like everyone's got semi-automatic weapons open out in the open, like storming through the Capitol. Like this is a different breed of protester or rioter. Oh, entirely different. I mean, if you just look at at the facts of what happened. So five yes. people died. Three of them mm-hmm. were medical. One was shot by one of the Capitol Police officers. And another was killed. It took about a day for the, the officer to die. But an officer was killed after being struck in the head with what at this time is believed to be a fire extinguisher. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine taking a fire extinguisher to the dome? So that that's a very up close and personal murder yes. of a police officer. Yes. There were uh, somebody was found with, I think, 10 or 11 Molotov cocktails. And let us not forget that two pipe bombs were found. Granted, they were small and probably wouldn't have done a whole lot in the grand scheme of things. This is not Oklahoma City. But the fact that semi-automatic weapons, explosives, incendiaries were mm-hmm. all brought to the Capitol um, to go along with uh, flags that say Trump, not the United States of America, but Trump, Yes, which is, uh, you know, authoritarian as it gets, um, along with a Confederate flag that was in the capital of the United States yes. of America. I saw um, that. And, I mean, these are all these are all documented things. This is this none of this is speculation. There's plenty of other speculation to be had, but these are the facts of what actually happened, and and people saw it happen live. Um, yeah, that that is a a different breed from what we saw with Antifa. Um, now, I don't think I don't think that makes them necessarily worse than Antifa. It just makes them better armed than Antifa. There, it makes them di- it makes them different, I think that but I, I do agree. I don't think it makes them uh better or worse than however you would want to define it. Um well, if, if don't forget that, you know, if we go back to uh, the Chop Chaz situation here in Seattle, um, somebody tried to cement the back door of the police station and then threw Molotov cocktails in the front door. Yeah. So, they, I mean, there was there was murderous intent on both sides is what I'm saying. Just so happens no, very true, yeah. in general, the right is better armed, but we are playing with factions of society small as they may be and and we'll get into what you know the quote unquote majority of this uh riotous crowd was saying but by allowing that to happen you enable these truly violent groups of people on both sides to have their way well yeah and i think that um the differences that we see are a um to me there's a clear like a, a clear, direct manifestation of ideological beliefs. Like I, I see a direct line between like the differences in the protesters and their ideological beliefs and what it is they're trying to do and how, right? Um, which I find it it's and it's interesting to watch that unfold, right? Like you have the left, which is very discourse driven. It's very it's very driven by metaphysics, by um, how we what we constitute as knowledge and how we define knowledge and the things that we know and how we define ourselves in the world. Um, and can we even define ourselves as an individual in the world autonomously versus um, 
constituting ourselves as it relates to other groups, right? So enlightenment thinking would 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 tell us that I am a sovereign being, an individual who is in the world and I have, you know, I exists. Whereas the opposite of that, the more postmodern view is that um, I'm only me in as much as I relate to other people around me. So I don't come into being until there's other people or other norms in place to for me to bounce myself off of, right? right. So I'm not normal unless I see an abnormal is a good way to think about it, right? Um, I'm not a man unless I see a woman. Because if there's only men, then we're not really men, right? Maybe is a good way to think about it. Versus... Um, the other side, which is not as concerned as of yet, or doesn't seem to realize that the actual fight that's being had culturally is at that level. They're much more old school, right? They're much more about liberty and freedom and are willing to do it the old fashioned way, which isn't to, to bandy with words. And yeah. so what do you see? You see well-armed militia who show up and tactically, essentially, slowly but surely just walk through and then storm you know, a Capitol building um, and take it over and then go get beers afterwards. Like it was a, like it was a fucking Wednesday. Taking selfies. <laughs> selfies Taking at the selfies crime and scene. Shit. Did you see? Yeah. There was, there was one lady came out <clears throat> and she ran into a, a news reporter of some sort. Uh, you know, Hey, what are you doing? Uh, she gives her full name and the state that she's from. And she's complaining because she just got maced in the face. <laughs> and the reporter's like, well, you know, why why were you in there? It's like, well, duh, it's the revolution. <laughs> I will say this. I will say this. So one thing that, that both sides do have in common is they both, without reservation and with clarity in their hearts, believe that they are correct, morally yes. righteous in what they're doing. Yeah. So and, and that's also a scary thing. Yes. Exactly. Right. That that's also scary because in um we had me we'd mentioned a bit at the beginning how we were going to talk about religion initially um and we'll still have that conversation and I'm going to dovetail this into that conversation that we'll have a bit because this actually does relate. There's been a there's been a dramatic decline in uh with the number of people who um identify as religious in America. Um, over the last like 60 years, it's gone down dramatically. The number of atheists has gone up. And not to say that atheism or agnosticism is necessarily bad, but um, when people don't have a moral framework, say, which is what, in part, what religion it provides uh, to to hold on to, they go, they 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 run to ideological beliefs. They run to political beliefs. There's not really much else to do. Like. You need a way to look at things in the world and say, that's what it means to be good. And I want to be a good person. Now, everyone feels differently about that because we're all different. And so what you think is good morally will be different from what I think is good on certain things and on others will probably feel the same. But um, if people are less and less inclined to be religious, you either have new religions that pop up or you have what we see now, which is these metastasized political ideologies on both the left and the right that people blindly that they adhere to. And now it becomes a moral. It's not it's a moral issue. You, you talk to our parents and our, and our grandparents. It was fine if you were married to a Republican and you were a Democrat. And the reason for that is because you disagreed over tax issues. 
like you disagreed over and how big the government was and how much money to give to schools versus something else. Like you didn't disagree on whether or not you were a good person and they were a piece of shit, which is what the actual disagreement is like. Something like I think it's like 60 percent or I think 60 percent or 75 percent of millennials have uh, have reportedly said that they would not date someone who did not share their political views. Yeah, that's actually well, I, that, I, that's scary to me. I say we because that is an in-depth conversation. I agree. And, and let's hold that for yeah. the oh, next yeah, no, podcast of course. so we can address um, it appropriately. But I think that to summarize it, um, politics and ideology are currently filling a religion-shaped hole in people's lives. Yes. Um, no, very, very true. And it, and that's scary to see because it it it's less of, well, you know, I want this or that and more of if you disagree with my politics, you disagree with me as a moral human, which means you think I'm bad, which means let's fight. Yeah. Well, it, that, I mean, it, it dehumanizes. And if yes. the other people are not even human, then they're that much easier to wipe out. Um, yes. And, and that's been historically a tactic since, you know, ever. So that it's it's Which a is, very dangerous yeah. state of uh, social awareness on both sides. Well, yeah, and that's one of the um, you know from the book "How Democracies Die." They go over um, the four most common or like uh, the four tendencies that are most common across. I'll say all authoritarians in the or most of the authoritarians that they uh, study in the 20th century. And one of those is that dehumanizing it. They refer to it as delegitimizing the opponent. Yeah. Um, in this case, politically, but it, it, dehumanizing someone does that because they, they're not worthy of being equal to you in whatever game you're playing. Um, and so it that's one of those authoritarian tendencies that both sides carry and you want to see. Um, Ideally, in a in a balanced culture, that that is, that shouldn't be an issue at all. No, everybody needs to be recognized as uh, human first, but equally valuable, uh, and then have the discussion from there. That's mm -hmm. otherwise we get what we're seeing now. So that's it, absolutely critical. Um, so I'm one of the things that I'm curious about uh, returning this back to culpability. Um, so I, I guess first, apparently Rudy Giuliani legitimately called for Trump supporters to go to the Capitol and exercise combat justice. I didn't hear the combat justice. I heard trial by combat. Um, Is maybe that's what it was. I, yeah. The article that I read, it said that he really Giuliani referred to it as to exercise combat justice. I didn't they didn't specify what it was. Um, so that's interesting because that's like the most clear example I've seen thus far of um, an actual call to violence. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious about that. I'm curious to see what will happen there. Um, the other issue that I'm curious about is, so traditional response, like how responsibility is traditionally looked at, is it's uh, it's traditionally looked at a th like especially legally, but through uh, um, a lens of individualism, right? So who am I? Did I individually am I causal in something happening? Right? Am I the principal architect of a problem? Um, or maybe am I secondary to it, which um, would mean I'm an accomplice legally, or am I somehow tangentially related? 
at which point maybe I have no culpability whatsoever, or I have no guilt for it or no responsibility. Um, but it's very individual focused, right? Um, and I would say that th that makes sense to me, as it should be like e each individual should address responsibility individually, and not how it pertains to a group, though we do need a, a, a way to to look at culpability and responsibility from a group setting because groups do do things. And so how do you collectively hold a mob responsible for mob behavior that not everyone perpetrates, right? Like that's a valid question. Um, and so I'm curious to see how, as a culture, we ascribe responsibility and blame for what, what has occurred. I think, well, I think there's a couple levels to that. I think for the people that were involved, yes. the actual rioters, um, it's pretty simple. If you were in the building, at the very least, at the very least, you were trespassing. Um, but if you were inside that building, when they were saying, we're in, we're in, if you went in, then you're culpable. Mm -hmm. um, not, I mean, not everybody's going to be culpable to the same degree, but if you sure. went in the building, you fucked up big time. And and you need to pay for that. And then on the like the political side, it's a special case because it's not just about individual rights and how that pertains to culpability. But when you take the oath of office, you swear to uphold the Constitution against all threats, foreign and domestic. Mm -hmm. Therefore, that is now uh, your responsibility as well. And that counts for action or omission of action so yes. if anything you did either created something to happen which trump did or if you failed to prevent it if you had the ability to do so but chose not to i think that's mm -hmm. culpability as well um for example this is this is still coming out but the governor of maryland which is right next door to washington dc um, was getting ready to send out the National Guard to help with this. Um, and this was a call made, if I'm not mistaken, not by the Capitol Police, but by one of the Congress people from within the siege. They happened to be good friends with and had the number of the governor of Maryland. Okay. Something to the effect of uh, help, we're being overrun, send help. Um, and the governor was like, okay, I'm on it. Um, however, Washington, D.C. is a special circumstance. It's not actually a state. And the police forces need to have uh, federal authorization in order to do anything. So this is Trump's administration that is in control of the police actions that happen in Washington, D.C. That's the way it's set up. So someone from inside calls the, the, the governor of Maryland, says, help. Governor of Maryland says, okay, I'm going to run up the, the, the flagpole and get you some help. He tried calling to get authorization to send his National Guard and could not get it. Was not given a reason, but was not mm -hmm. giving authorizations. You are not authorized to send these troops. And they were all ready and waiting for, I think, like two hours until they, they finally got the clearance to send in the National Guard and then they showed up and cleared everybody out. Yeah. But that period of time, someone in the Trump administration prevented the National Guard from showing up 
to clear out that situation. Now, I don't know the timing. Um, however, I would have to think that at least one of the two people that died because of these actions, not talking about the, the medical situations, but the, the lady that was shot and the guy that took a, a fire extinguisher to the dome, got to think at least one of them would not have fucking died if they would have mm-hmm. got help there in as fast as they certainly could have. So somebody at the top held that back and therefore people died. I think there's an enormous amount of culpability there that hopefully does not get you know, swept under the rug amidst all the rest of this chaos. Yeah, no, very, very true. And the the other thing I'm thing I'm curious about too is I think a reasonable argument could be made that the blame lies with the GOP itself for not doing its duty four years ago. You know, being the soft guardrail of our democracy and allowing Trump to get become the GOP presidential nominee. And I wonder if blame will go that far down the line. I wonder if you hold the the actual GOP committee. Well, who specifically is that? I don't know offhand. I actually didn't look it up, but um, that's what I'm curious about is as they go through and assign blame. Because there's a direct correlation to me between that moment or those moments then and now. Because it wasn't like Trump became, started exhibiting all these authoritarian tendencies near the end of his, you know, his run as president. He wasn't like a, a, a what's his name, a, a, a Jose Perón down in Cuba. I think it was Cuba or Argentina um, who did that, right? Like two years in is when he, two or three years in was when he finally started to exhibit authoritarian tendencies. It wasn't like that. Right. Everyone knew before he even won. Like all of the things that all of the authoritarian tendencies, he did all of them during the presidential debates against Hillary. Like it was pretty it, during the the the, the Republican um, primary debates and stuff. And all of his rhetoric and everything has been remarkably consistent for really since the early 2000s, 2010s. Right. And so. It, I, I wonder if you if, if that actually should happen, if it should go all the way back and say, you guys fucked this up. All of this is on you because you should have been the parent in this situation who recognized very clearly that this was a problem and that this is more than likely going to happen. And instead, you jumped on the bandwagon to suckle the power teat and get your way. Um, one of the interesting things, I piece of history I'd read is that um, since Reformation in the 1850s, there's been one other president who has exhibited authoritarian tendencies in any regard. And of the four that were mentioned in that book, How Democracies Die, the president exhibited one of them. <laughs> Just one. And it was the willingness to violate civil liberties of his opponents. And as Nixon, you, wasn't it? that was Nixon. Because he violated their civil liberties by breaking into places and, you know, installing secret recording equipment to hear what they were saying. And he was impeached. And he violated one. And then we actually elected a president who violated all four repeatedly 
before he was even the pres- the, the, the the Republican nominee. Yep. And like, so it's one of those things where this was all done with. You you can't bl- you can't blame you can't say you were willfully ignorant like there's no ign- or you can't I'm sorry you you actually could claim willful ignorance which is to say that you should have known and just didn't because you didn't want to like you can't claim legitimate ignorance here no one in the GOP can say I didn't know it's like the fuck you didn't know it's and the so, frog and the scorpion it's a classic yeah, example that, of the frog and the scorpion right, what right, the fuck exactly. did you think was going to happen exactly yeah. and so it's like. When this sort of thing happens, do you, I guess the question that I would have is, do you go that far back and do you say, hey, everyone at the top level is to blame for this and we need to see some action? I'm not so sure that's the right thing to do. It isn't clear to me that it is. The argument, however, I think is very strong for it it scares me if we were to do that that's partly why i'm not sure if it's the right the right thing to do because it it, that can get out of hand um oh big time very 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 quickly yeah and i i agree with the sentiment of y'all are fucking guilty at some level in terms of of actual culpability i'm far less concerned with um tracking it back to the gatekeepers who fail to do their jobs uh and uh, allowed trump to get into office but I think it's much more important that we learn the lesson that, and you know, history has a short memory and the reason that these safeguards were put in place in, you know, the 1700s by the founders, those lessons were all very fresh in everyone's mind because they were coming from the monarchy that was, you know, doing all the things that they were rebelling against and and wanted to set up their own situation. So all of this stuff that could go wrong was very fresh in their heads. Um, you know, fast forward a couple of hundred years where the United States is kind of the top of the heap and everybody gets very, you know, comfortable with American exceptionalism uh, mm-hmm. and, and all that kind of thing. We forget why those safeguards were put in place and how bad it could really get. Um, and, and, you know, with, with free speech, that's illustrated with free speech. We don't realize how important that is because it's been protected for so long. We don't yes. see what happens when you don't protect it. Nobody alive today was there when that issue was was so uh, so important to the day, so to speak. Um, we we become complacent to the things that we already have in place, and we don't remember why they're there in the first place. You, it's almost a Chesterton Spence type of a situation. Yeah. Um, and hopefully, this event will be the wake up call as to why we have those safeguards and, and soft guardrails in place. So I'm a lot more concerned with, you know, repairing the system in that sense, rather than getting, you know, revenge on a bunch of the GLP. Um, I, you know, Trump and Giuliani should be in prison. I, I support the shit out of that. Uh, but as, <laughs> as far as, um, you know, going after a whole bunch of political leaders, um, you know, lest we forget, there were 70 some million people that voted for Trump. So there, there's a large chunk of the population that does agree with a lot of what these people are saying. Um, mm-hmm. And if we're going to do this, we got to do it together. We're, we're going to be a United States. We got to take everybody into account. So rather than escalating things and creating more divisions, 
if we could take a timeout and say, uh, see what happens, <laughs> we need to come together and talk uh, before this gets even more out of hand. Yep. No, that, that I agree with. I, I just thought it was an interesting point to bring up because I don't know how you handle that sort of an issue, right? Like, at what point do you stop assigning blame? Because if you blame too many people, then no one is to blame. Right. And I just, uh, Trump and Giuliani for what they said and anybody that stepped foot inside the Capitol. Let's just start there. Sure. Um, I think the, it's a good place to start. Yeah. Yeah. The cat with the pipe bombs. That was somewhere else that wasn't actually inside the building. So obviously he gets to go to jail for a long time. Um, you know, the, the, those are the, the easy ones. But I think at least yeah. for starters, a very clear line is if you stepped inside the building, you're no longer protesting. You're trespassing. Yep. Nope, totally. I totally agree. Um, I am also curious moving forward to see how the Biden administration handles this and how they their rationale for um, assigning blame culpability who they determine should be responsible for things and how um like i mentioned we have as a culture a fairly traditional or we have what's referred to often as a traditional view of responsibility and there is a pretty big push um it does stem mostly from the left but there's a big push on a new way of thinking about responsibility and culpability which is much more group centric um and so please no. Yeah, and so uh there's a I'm interested to see how how if if that sort of um theory gets put into practice uh and uh more concretely within the government, so legally, and then how that would play out too. Like that is a that is a legitimate concern I have. Um we already do it a little bit currently, like you were mentioning, um, you know, Trump should be brought up, you know, is is at fault for his, uh, he's culpable for what he said. Um, but at the same time, Trump himself has stated, like, I, my intent was not for people to riot, which is his attempt. And this is actually one of the problems with traditional responsibility is that him saying that he didn't intend for his supporters to come and like actually riot and trespass is him absolving himself of any culpability in the wrongdoing because he didn't say to do it and on some level that's right and on some level that's wrong and the, partly on the level that it's wrong at least in my eyes is because of the power that he carries he's a politician he's the leader of the free world his words carry more should carry more scrutiny than others because of the power that he carries and so he should be held to a higher standard with the shit that he says a hundred percent. And he can't um, he can't get the double speak pass. Yeah, that, exactly. He's not a fucking mafia Don. That that shit cannot fly anymore. Cause that's exactly what he's doing. No, it but true. But um to that to take that a step further, the um the less uh individualistic for uh, um idea of responsibility and the more group centric idea of responsibility takes that and runs with it a bit. Um in that it removes intent completely. So intent's irrelevant. So no matter what you say, it's irrelevant what you meant. It, it, what's relevant is how it's perceived by those around you. And additionally, um, 
there is not necessarily a singular autonomous you in as much as you are removed from a group or an identity, you are a part of intrinsically um, groups and identities because of who you are and how they are and how you fit into them. And so there's an issue in which you don't get off by claiming intent, it's irrelevant. And if you're part of a group that does something, then you are also therefore culpable. Um, the common example that gets used for this is if you buy a sweatshirt that's made by a company, let's say Nike, who employs, um, you know, kids in sweatshops in a third world country, you are then culpable for perpetuating a very terrible environment for child labor. You exploit child labor. Even though you're dramatically removed from that actual abhorrent practice, you are culpable as a result because you're part of the cog that uh, perpetuates that system of child labor. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, this I, dis is actually I fundamental disagree with it 100%, but I hear what you're saying. <laughs> sure. Th this is the fundamental argument that um, yeah. systemic racism and white complicity is built upon. Right. Uh, at, just to be clear on that, and then I'll, I'll leave it alone because I don't want to, like I said, I, I don't want to go off the rails too much from blaming um, all of the really old white people, who, men who run the GOP and how badly they fucked up. Because I think that that's what most of this podcast should be spent doing is talking about how badly they fucked up because they fucked up. Um, but that is the other, you know, in an effort to be apolitical and to give the other side of this argument. Um, that is the other thing we have to fear as a culture is the opposite end of the spectrum, which is no matter what you do. You may just be culpable because you exist. Yeah. Well, Which is an oversimplification of the problem, but it, it, it gets the point across nonetheless. Right. That's you know, the, the original sin of being white. Um, I think what we're seeing is is we're seeing that we are we saw the pendulum swing the other direction for a moment in that. As society gets more and more separated and divided. Over the summer, we saw the the violent outgrowths of Antifa. And then earlier this week, we saw the violent outgrowths of the white uh, or the the white wing, the right wing. Um, when they you are, you can call it the white wing too. Yeah, it's mostly white. So, are, uh, to be fair, yeah, I didn't see a whole lot of black faces in the, in those videos. Um, but I think it's 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 the manifestation of very similar impulses. And again, I point back to things like the social dilemma in that people's worldviews are becoming more and more siloed and they can interact with a very small group of like-minded people. But the same human impulses are showing up, whether it's uh, Antifa violence or Trumper violence. Yes. I think that that's what really needs to be um, held in mind as we look for solutions to this situation um they're they're different outgrowths of the same problem yes no i i totally agree and the actual problem isn't even the main problem i think it's a it's a symptom of a deeper problem which is the um political polarity the polarity that we've seen politically um which has metastasized for quite some time and has um 
ultimately driven a moral wedge between what for quite some time has been, you know, friendly neighbors. Yep. Exactly. You know, and um I I don't have an answer to how that's supposed to be solved. I I have what I think might be what seemed to me to be fairly obvious um things to do, but there's also a, a loud voice of people that don't th- either don't think that those are right, think that they won't fix the problem, or it, or they aren't worth doing. And so it it seems the best thing for to do for me to me is to just talk. Yeah, I don't know what the solution is either, but I know it's not violence. No, it, it, <laughs> it's definitely not violence. So you had mentioned violence, um, and so I wanted to. Uh, uh, sort of go down another line of thought with violence. I've talked about this a little bit before, um, but I think it actually bears repeating here and talking about, in particular because legitimate violence and actual physical violence and death occurred on Wednesday. Um, and I don't want to minimize that in any in any way, but um, at the level of language, it's very important, I think, to to discuss what violence actually is, what it means, and how we address it going forward. Um, I've mentioned before that there's this uh, there, there's a, a a theory that picks up steam and it's very po- it's picking up steam and it's very popular among activists. Um, uh, the, the the phrase is uh, like silence is violence or complicity is violence and work and alternatively words are violence. I've even are, seen whiteness uh, is violence. Okay, so yeah, yeah. I, I, I've seen whiteness is violence too, and so um, there's. A lot of this is very convoluted and doesn't seem to make much sense, but um, I'm starting to, to 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 understand the theory behind it a bit more, like where it originates from, how, where it comes from. Um, whiteness is violence is an interesting one because whiteness is also property, and um, property violence is another thing that is not considered violence, uh, depending on how uh, um, how how radical you are as an activist. So technically speaking, whiteness is both nonviolent. That's how it would work. Whiteness is violence, but also being violent to whiteness is nonviolent because whiteness is property. And so that's very confusing. That That's a confusing statement that I'm going to unpack later because essentially that would mean, and I'm trying to think this through right now because I didn't even think of that one. So bear with me. But that would essentially mean that engaging in violence by being violent to violence is nonviolent. That's what that would mean, technically speaking. <laughs> well, I would I would encourage you to bear in mind that you are attempting to apply logic to an illogical system. No, very true. But um, but still, I, I do want to go through it because it 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 does it is uh, I think it, it can have going forward um, actual consequences for how um, our society uh, views. Uh, say protesting and activism and the proper ways with which to make your voice heard morally going and, and legally going forward. So, oh, yeah. um, so there's a, let's see if I can break this down simply. Um, the terms words are violence and silence is violence come up, but they're, they're part of a broader ethic. Um, it's often referred to as the ethic of nonviolence. Uh, it's coined by uh, Judith Butler who's, a, who's um, a, an old school uh, 
radical feminist. She's kind of one of the mothers of of a lot of the feminism rhetoric that you hear in activism. But um, in her ethics explanation of ethics, she explains that the the violent nature of systemic injustice and it makes it clear that there's a differentiation between traditional physical violence and violence created by frameworks like a, of oppression and injustice, right? And so you have your physical violence. And then you have words as violence in, in particular, like in the in actions as violence. So how we per, perpetuate injustice inju, injustice is in and of itself violent because it can lead to violent outcomes, right? So that's how that's where you get words or violence is by saying and doing things that are normal um, and perpetuate, let's say in this case, whiteness or white normalcy, um, that it is in and of itself violent. Um in keeping with that, uh, if property violence is not violence because it is in, in, a, in effect not only a reparation for, but a um, a rejection of systemic injustice. Like a, a lot of the protests are being referred to as simply that, right? It's um, we're angry about systemic injustice, and this is our way to cry out. So what we're doing isn't violence. It's 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 sort of a a nonviolent reaction to the violence is being perpetrated upon us. On the surface, I would agree with that. A peaceful protest is yes. exactly that. Without destroying the, property and hurting yeah. people, yes, that's what that is. But this actually extends into legitimate property damage. Right. So on some level, what occurred outside of the deaths themselves wasn't violence on Wednesday. By that logic, it was not violence. So which is an say, interesting thing. Yeah. Well, they wouldn't. Th those who actually did the violence wouldn't say that. That's th that would be something interesting to bring up. But um, following the logic that can sometimes be illogical, it wouldn't be um, considered violence. It, and it it's scary to me to think moving forward the potential justification for these lines of reasoning when it comes to destruction of federal property and what it means to protest and riot going forward and where the line is between actual legitimate violence and when it should you should be held responsible for it and when you shouldn't because understand as well that if whiteness is violence whiteness is something that is pervasive across the culture that um whites themselves embody because we're white but also because it's a property that we inherit. Um, and so the nonviolent way to go against that is to do the opposite of whatever it is it tells you to do, which is to be an activist. And so if whiteness is property and you can't be violent towards it and you want to dismantle and disrupt it, then being violent towards it isn't actually an illegal act to do. And it's actually morally, you're actually morally obligated to do that. I, I think the answer to that I mean, that happened Which hundreds scary. of years ago because yes. words have meaning, words have been defined, and we just need to simply stop allowing the redefinition of words in yes. a way that has a legal and political consequence like we're seeing now. That just needs to be straight up rejected. No, yes. violence no, is I, violence. That's it. I, 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 and I actually completely agree, but um, it is it was something that I wanted to uh, that I wanted to bring up again because we were we you, you mentioned violence and um, and what had occurred 
because it, it it's scary to me to think that um, again on the opposite side of the coin of what we saw on Wednesday, that similar things could occur for drastically different moral reasons. Like I could easily see this same thing happening from the left using totally different reasons, but they're morally correct in those justifications, or at least they feel they're morally correct, but they do the same thing um, in the name of you know their own moral certitude and. Um, and so, yeah, that that's that's really where I was going with that. Is it? Um... Yeah, no, I, I feel you. I'd be very curious as well to see kind of tactically how uh, folks on the right who try to justify this, if they do at all, um, how they go about it. Um, I, I am, too. Th- yeah, <clears throat> I think there's a big difference between what we saw this summer and kind of the mixed opinions versus what we saw on Wednesday which is, uh, you know, globally condemned. Yes. Th- that, thank goodness, by the yeah, way. Yeah. Yeah. That, that adds a different element to it. Uh, but you're absolutely right in that both sides, whether it be, you know, the left riding over the summer or the right uh, riding this week, they feel they're correct. They mm-hmm. feel that they are on the right side of history. If you listen to some of the, the live streams and stuff that these people had when they're going inside the Capitol, was like a party they 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 did not seem to have any you know violent intent they just thought they were making history and things were going to be okay and yay we did it um not to say that there wasn't a, a a smaller group within the group that did have some really bad intent um but i don't think the majority of those people realized the severity of what it is they were doing the consequences of what they were doing, it just became this, uh, you know, groupthink thing to do that mm-hmm. was um, encouraged by the president of the United States of America. Well, how can I be wrong? The president's saying he's on our side, so we are going to uh, save our country, is, is their thought. It doesn't make it right, but... That's the the ideological framework that they were basing their actions on. Um, and again, you know, it, it comes down to the, the lack of um, community communication versus the echo chambers that we have now, the shared reality that yeah. is evaporated. Um, yeah, everybody thinks they're right when they're doing wrong. Yeah. Exactly, completely. And do you think, do you think the president should be impeached again? Hundred uh, percent. Removed yeah. in some way. If so the thing is, on on a practical level, if he gets impeached, um, I have no faith that the Senate would actually carry through. They would just stall until his term is up, and and that would be that. So there's sort of something to be said for just putting another impeachment on his record. Only president to ever get impeached twice. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, there, there, I think there's some value in that in terms of just making sure history knows what a piece of shit Trump is. Um, but I would much rather see him physically removed from the premises before his term is actually up. By, by whatever means we need to, if they can pull off invoking the 25th Amendment and get him out of there and let Pence run things for a few days, 
that's fine too. But I really, really think that a statement needs to be made that this is in no way okay and mm-hmm. the consequences will follow. But if he gets a pass on this, if he plays some fucking word games to try and get out of inciting that crowd, you know, with his double speak, well, I didn't really mean that. Doesn't fucking matter, man. You're the president of the yeah. United States. What you say matters. And this is the result of what you said. And you got to pay for it. I, I support that 100%. Yeah, I'm I'm torn. And the reason I'm torn is because I don't think that the House should impeach him just for the sake of doing it, to put it on his record and to show kind of what you had said about, to show history that he's so bad he had two, but then they're not able to get it through the Senate and are just... Things just peter out just for the sake of doing that. And the reason I don't like that option is because to me, impeachment is uh, um, it's a it, it's what the French call a pis aller, It's a chess term. It's a move of last resort. Right. Um, How is sedition when, not justify no, the last resort? <laughs> no, I, let me let me. Like, oh, OK, sorry, sorry. That, right? so, Go ahead. No, that's OK, because you, you bring up valid points. It, like, personally, I don't I actually would. I think he should be actually impeached, but I don't think it's worth it for the the House to just simply do it without bipartisan support across the board in the House and the Senate. And the reason for that is because of what it's designed to do. Because it's a move of last resort, if they just simply do it, knowing that they won't pass it, this would mark the fourth time in the history of the president of America that it's ever been done. So Trump has two of them and nothing came of it. So now it's no longer this move of last resort. It's something that's never actually been achieved that becomes a little bit more normal to do the next time we get a president who people don't like and the House happens to not match the president in terms of uh, uh, politics. That, that, that's, that's where my fear comes from, is that what I don't want to see is that it becomes this, well, he did something that we didn't like, maybe even if there's a legitimate legal grounds to, to be upset at him for it and, and to do it. And so we're just going to impeach him. It doesn't matter if the Senate agrees or not. It's just we're going to do this because we have the option available. And then the next time the president comes in and the president's a Democrat or Republican and the House is the opposite. And they're like, well, we don't like what you did. And maybe there's some legal grounds that we have the power to impeach you. We're just going to do it to fuck with you. And then it becomes more normal to do it. I don't think it should be a normal thing to do. And it's tough because on the opposite end of that coin, Trump is an abnormal circumstance or an abnormal, you know, uh, um, piece in very odd circumstances that have changed, that have, you know, have, uh, um, been occurring for for many many decades now and so he's kind of the result of a lot of problems in the GOP for a long time but my fear would be that all that would come from doing that if it doesn't go all the way to the end and get in in the senate passes it is that it'll be a another black mark on his his record that's already just pocked with black you know black marks and then it becomes that much easier to do it again and again and again and then it becomes 
at some point worthless. I don't want to see that occur. That right. would be my, that's my reticence, right? That 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 that's actually where I'm coming from. Even though I think that um, he should honestly, he should just step down. Is what I think should happen. He should realize that he fucked up and just leave. But just like Nixon did. But what I think would be best, and uh, we talked a little bit about this earlier in the week um, on hang on Wednesday Thursday was the reckoning of the GOP. Like there needs to be like a, a reckoning within the GOP. And I think that this is that kind of movement moment where they need to suck it up, tail between the legs, whatever, walk over the aisle, take a hold of the Democrats, Democrats hands and say, we need to fix this together. Fuck our, our, our partisan problems. We need to come together and fix this in unity. Because if we're going to do this last resort, like, this is what we need to do. We need to come through and say, boom, we're doing this together. Full partisan support, full bipartisan support. No, we have to do it, right? Um, that's what I think should happen. I think that, that, that seems to me to be the actual right move. It's an extreme move. And again, I'm reticent to, to want them to do it because it's such an extreme move. But given what did occur, I think it warrants it. Like you said, sedition is a legitimate, I mean, it's, it's an act of treason. Um, you know, it's technically, I think it's considered a war crime against the U.S., right? Like a terrorist yeah. incident. I forget how it breaks down legally, <laughs> yeah. but it's like, so, sure. But does that make sense? Like there's. It does. I, I agree that we don't want to dilute the power of impeachment. Um, it's yes. kind of like the parrot said that says, uh, if you don't stop doing that, by the time I count to three, I'm going to count to three again. Type of thing. Yes, yeah, exactly. It, it loses its effectiveness. That said, um, if there's ever a circumstance that warrants it, I think this does. I also agree that the GOP should absolutely come together and support this. However, if they choose not to, and if they choose to continue to hold this ridiculous ground, um, I don't think that should stop the House from doing um, what is right of their limited options. Because there's only so much they can do, something needs to be done. If mm -hmm. Pence is not going to invoke the 25th, uh, we absolutely cannot give him a pass on this. If there are other legal uh, 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 avenues that could be taken after he's out of office, see, this I don't know, but if, if he can be brought yeah. to trial and held accountable after he's left office and there are guardrails in place to keep him from doing something seriously crazy, in the next 11 days, 12 days, um, then okay. But I think that he absolutely cannot get a pass on this. He doesn't get to pardon himself. Um, something needs to happen to this man for what he has done. Yes, no, that I agree with. And the other concern that I would have is that let's say that the House goes through and they pass impeachment legislation and it doesn't get through the Senate and even after Trump leaves, because I, I think there's some uh, there's some line, there's a line of thought that uh, there's speculation that they can continue to try and impeach him even after he's gone because they put the proceedings before he left. And so let's say it doesn't get through the Senate and it's, it's a no go. The Democrats are going to control the House and with uh, uh, Kamala Harris as the VP will technically control the Senate. She'll be the, the deciding vote. Um, yep which gives them the power in certain situations to change how majority votes work with the Senate. They need a, um, 
a two thirds majority for the impeachment at the moment. But things like that have changed before. I think that I think the Republicans made a change a couple of years ago about what was required for a majority in terms of um, what was it like filibustering or uh, 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 some something else. I forget what it is they did, but they, they they made changes and they made it easier for themselves essentially to um, make decisions and quash democratic decisions because they controlled the Senate with that lower majority. They didn't have the higher majority that was required. They had the lower one. And so the other thing that would concern me is that the Democrats would then say, well, we're going to fight power with power because the Republicans have gone out of their way to exercise to the fullest extent their power for quite some time. And the Democrats are finally going to get on board and say, well, we get, we're going to do that too, which um, as an aside would delight the more the very radical progressives of the Democratic Party because their whole entire ideology is predicated upon the the notion of power and who has it. So, but the separate thing, um, and then they change the rules to where all maybe all that's needed is a um, an actual majority, which would be a fifty one percent percent majority. And as long as it's a partisan vote, then boom, they could then just pass an impeachment protocol with no problem. And like that's what I see as being an issue is, it, is it, they start to lower the barriers for doing the really, really, really um, powerful things that we should not really do that often, if ever. And then they become easier to do. I don't want to see that game like that's the Cold War, right? That's the that's the that's the escalation of power over time so that you have nukes and now I have better nukes and now I, you have more and I have more. And then it just it's escalated until all of a sudden it's like. Now we're literally just playing the game of when I'm in power, I do as much things with the power that I have as I can because I can. Fuck you. I have the power to do it. I will be an asshole and just do everything. And then when it's your turn, you do it right back. And then there's just this swing of absurdity versus a much more nuanced and compromised system. Yeah, um, I, I agree. I think it's a slightly separate situation. But yeah, I mean, for the last three decades, that's kind of been the playbook. And that's, you know, uh, uh, not productive, to say the very no, least. It, um, it really isn't. And the fact that we're going to really have an entirely blue government for the next, well, two years, for sure, um, yeah. has its own set of concerns, of course. Um, but for the sake of this, for for Trump and the riot. Uh, I would definitely like to see him impeached, regardless of whether or not it makes it to the Senate. I would, of course, prefer it makes it to the Senate or if they can continue the proceedings after he's out of office. But I do think it's really, really important for the sake of not normalizing. I mean, can you imagine what would happen if we normalize the inciting of a riot on the capital of the United States? It's just unfucking fathomable. Um, yeah. But we're, we're at that precipice. So we yes. need to make sure that that very, uh, I'll say, severe repercussions happen because of these actions um, to the people that are genuinely responsible. Trump, Giuliani, yeah. um, the folks that actually committed physical violence um, on or about the property, you know, the, the stuff that 10 years ago we would think is normal, right? Um, for the people that were just in taking selfies yeah, you get a trespass and something else. You know, maybe you do six months of community service. You don't get a pass, but, you know, we're not going to throw the book at you. Um, but Trump and Giuliani, 
uh, need to have the book thrown at them, in my opinion. I, I I agree with them. And you brought up a, an interesting subject. And I think we should actually spend a whole podcast on this later um, versus trying to delve into it now. But you talked about, say, uh, trespassers who were taking selfies um, and then, you know, getting community service and then that, you know, slap on the wrist. Um, I would I think it'd be interesting to do a podcast where we look at um, and this is based off of what uh, President-elect Joe Biden had said the other day about um how he expected that the protest would have been handled differently if uh, Black Lives Matter protesters were the ones doing this instead of. Oh, dude. Um, yeah, I'm glad you brought that so, up because I, I definitely would so, want to touch on that. I think that so, would have been a radically different outcome. Well, so I think it would have been radically different for a multitude of reasons, but some both, um, I think, self-serving to the to the right and to the left, right? I think that there would have been some a lot of differences, and one of those is, and this is I said I want to talk about the protests in a, in, a, in, a, in a separate podcast so we can really delve into it. But you know, there's been a lot of consternation over the fact that a huge, huge, huge number of um, rioters across the country this summer and fall and winter have literally vandalized and destroyed federal property, been arrested, and then been immediately released with no charges only to go back out and do the same thing and get arrested and then not get charged and then get released, you know, five, six, a dozen times, just repeatedly showing up in mugshots. And so for doing what would actually be far worse than walking into a Capitol building and taking a selfie, or breaking in, I guess. But you know, they're, they're, so I, I want to see the differences and see how they're being handled differently. I'm not saying that one is necessarily worse than the other. I think they're all bad. I, I don't like the defacement of property. I don't like destruction of property. I don't like um, the trespassing onto federal property to prove a political point um, in pretty much any in situation. Um, there's probably a few I might make exception to. I might have to think about it. But um, I don't really condone any of the behavior on either side. But it seems to me that there is a difference depending on where you're at and how everyone is being treated when they decide to go from being a protester to a rioter to destroying shit. And also just if they just stay a protester, right? A lot of protesters were treated, have been treated differently too. And I think Joe Biden brings up a decent point in that, you know, there's been a lot of protesters across the country who've been, you know, tear gassed and shot with rubber bullets and, um, you know, Unlaw maybe even uh, probably legitimately unlawfully arrested and um, for doing nothing. And yet none of the, you know, and yet none of these people who were protesting, they didn't really stop them from going further into the riot territory when they could have, you know? And yeah, so there's, I, there definitely is, I think that's what he's referring to is like, that, that was my assumption, or maybe he's referring to the opposite, that if they would have been Black Lives Matter protesters, the cops just would have beat them all up. I think that I think there would have, we would have seen a lot more deaths. I think there's an important distinction here in that where we've seen the most problematic kind of catch and release of protesters and Antifa and stuff like that have been in very blue cities. You know, here in Portland Seattle, is the biggest Portland. One of, yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's that's where we I, I think you and I would agree that the extreme left has gotten its claws into government, and we're seeing how that is. Um, 
know if corrupting is the right word, but having a poor yes, influence on the the proceedings. So yeah, the catch and release that's no good. On the flip side, it's, it, it, corrupt, corrupting is the right word. The, okay. you, that that is, I think, the correct term here. On the flip side, um, in D.C., that is. Uh, you know, with a Republican president and stuff that, that, you know, that's more of a Republican controlled area. What we already saw over the summer with Trump's fucking photo opportunity where he tear gassed and rubber bulleted yeah, protesters. Yeah. Okay. So we've exactly. seen that. Yeah. This is not speculation. That is, that's documented. That's what happened along with, and again, we need more details on this, but what appears to be a holding back of the national guard for a couple hours. Yeah. And not giving them the authorization to go clear the situation. Um, and apparently, you know, there are reports from within uh, Trump's aides saying that for a couple hours he was reveling in it. You know, I mean, what, what kind of an ego boost is that when your your fans, your peeps are actually storming the Capitol? How good is that going to make a guy like Trump feel? So he's not yeah. in a hurry to break any of that up. But imagine if they were black and brown folks. People would have died. I honestly believe that. People would have sure. fucking died because they would have escalated much more quickly. Crowd would have gotten upset. So there would have much more of a melee. I mean, mm -hmm. as we saw it in there, it was, you know, damn near entirely white faces and they are chatting up to police and trying to convince them to you know, be on our side. Hey, man, we're, we're doing this for you, too. And all that kind of shit. So that's why it, it you know, seems so mellow, even though it was violent. But man, if they if it was black against white, meaning uh, you know black folks against a majority white police force, with Trump yeah. being able to say yay or nay as far as bringing in reinforcements, I I one hundred percent believe more people would have died, um, and and yeah. I don't think that should be ignored. No. Um, yeah. It's kind of further evidence to what everybody's been thinking. Um, of course, I also think that more is going to be read into this than would be considered accurate. Um, yes. I that think, happens in these situations, though, because they're exactly. charged. Yes. And, so, you know, ne it's uh, never let a good crisis go to waste politically. Yes. So both sides are going to do their best to, to position and, and get advantage by this crisis. We, we know that's going to happen. Um, well, yeah, let's say well, what's going through my head is on one hand, I see the argument that there would have been many more deaths because, well, mostly because whites and cops are racist. So, of course, they would kill more black and browns. And then on the other end, I see it because there's such animosity between um, the activist community, like the, the, the left activist community and whites or and the police even both however you want to break that down there's going to be a proclivity towards anger and violence on both yes exactly exactly on, bo on, bo on both sides and so yeah that's it, what it, i was saying it, you know it, inside the the capital they were trying to be all buddy buddy you wouldn't have seen that and, no and that's what i'm yeah, right you're, yeah. you're i think that that's what i noticed the most as i was like or thought about the most as i was like okay that would be the that that's probably would be the differentiator is that um you're not going to see that and so the it'll the violence will have to escalate by virtue of there's no room for anything else like violence is the only option left once they've legitimately 
stormed the castle, as it were, and, you know, broken through the gates. It's like, well, yeah, they're not coming in happy. They're coming in hot. And. And so what do you do? Like, if you try and, you know, smile and laugh and say, hey, this is just a joke, they're not going to they, they may not return that favor. Whereas you see videos of that occurring, my understanding, you know, the cops in the in in the. um the right, right, the writers that were on the right that were there were kind of, it's a very interesting dynamic to see. Dude, there's, I don't know what there's, to make it. There's footage of a police officer taking selfies with the rioters. Jesus Christ. Are you serious? I am serious as a heart attack, man. Fuck. It was fucking surreal. But on the flip side, and again, that's why I say there's this smaller group within. Um, it was overheard several people trying to track down Mike Pence. As I understand it, they began to build a gallows. <laughs> yes. And they were talking about executing him for sedition as a traitor. Gee. Um, so there was, there was a, a whatever size group of people that were actually looking to assassinate politicians. This, this sounds like... a a metastasized, like a malignant version of what happened at Evergreen. It is. I'm sorry, but but it does. It, this yeah. is this is a right a right wing version of it versus a a radical left a right right radical uh, wing version of it versus a radical left. But that that literally is what happened to Brett Weinstein at Evergreen, minus the gallows and the execution. Yeah. But people were literally prowling cars with bats looking for this guy. Yep. And um, I, apparently, some of the uh, the police in the Capitol. We're given directions. They're like, where's Nancy Pelosi's office? That's oh, right down there. They were helping the rioters. So I think there, there's definitely some culpability involved with the individual officers in just, sure. um, you know, shirking their duty. I, there, there should definitely be, I guess, the, the two sergeant at arms, they've already been sacked. I think that's appropriate. Um, yeah, so in so, terms of culpability, that some of the cops fucked up as well whether or not they had backup you can't you can't willfully allow some of this stuff to happen it's one thing to get pushed back you know mobs coming at you and you got to retreat uh that's fine but if you're given directions and taking selfies you don't get to have that job anymore yeah so this 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 is an interesting this brings something interesting that i'm thinking of and see if i can articulate it properly here um so i'm assuming that it, you know, as the, cause I haven't seen much, if any of the footage, I didn't watch any of the footage. Um, do it. It's really surreal. But, it's, it's worth seeing with your own eyes. It really is. Yeah. And I, I just read a couple of articles for it. Cause I, um, my girlfriend had watched some of the footage and explained it to me and I figured you had, so I want to kind of get your, your take on it. But so what I'm thinking, what I'm going, what's going through my head is that you have, you know, the, 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 the guards, police, whatever that are inside the Capitol building that protect it. And they know that a well-armed militia has literally breached the Capitol and is coming in. And so they're left with a couple of options. And if they're told to stand down, they can't really set themselves up for defense of the Capitol. So how do they effectively do whatever their job now is without getting killed by a well-armed mob? You don't have to give directions and you don't have to take selfies. 
I get I the self-preservation. Yeah. No, yeah. If, if but, but they've that, taken that's the what's going through my head. Yeah. Is, is, is that self-preservation is like, okay, well, I'm in this situation where it's entirely plausible that if I, if I act with any kind of resistance, I may just get shot by the well-armed, you know, I, I saw a picture of a, of a shirtless dude, like covered in like paint. The Viking and guy. Like a, yeah. Like, yeah, Viking guy, like a Viking hat on. It's like, if I, if I'm a little bit resistant to this Viking dude, he may just, he may just kill me. So maybe the best thing to do is to placate him until we actually get help. I wonder, I don't think it's the case personally that you should be let off for that, but that question does come into mind in terms of self-preservation. Does that make sense? It's like, it does. And, And I would recommend for that exact reason that you watch the video. Um, because the, the nuance of, you know, human communication, that's more than just the yeah. words, but if you actually see the interaction, um, that cop gets to get fired. It's like, no, yeah. no, it's you weren't trying to save yourself. Yeah. yeah. Um, got it, yeah, got he it. wasn't okay, in yeah. fear for his life. They're chatting each other up. Um, sure. and yeah, it's, and I it's mean, worth saying, de- dude. You could, I'm sure you could definitely <laughs> make the case too, that, um, had the the guards either just backed up completely and exited the building or just stood wherever their ground was and just said, hey, I want to stay alive, but I'm not authorized to engage really in any way with you. So yeah, if that's a problem, I'm going to leave. Do your thing. I'm not giving you directions. I'm like the guards that can't talk in, in Britain, you yeah. know, in London. I'm, the, I'm those guys with the big ass hats. That would be far more understandable. Yeah. But... Uh, you know, but then again, oftentimes people don't act rational in, in irrational situations because of heightened fear. And so, um, yeah, I'll, I'll watch the footage. I'm, I'm like, I don't I don't doubt that you're right there with it, with the body language. But I, that's what came to my mind was like, oh, sure. I yeah. wonder if this is just yeah. like a self-preservation issue of like, I might as well do what I can to make them think that I'm not going to do anything so they don't shoot me. Well, and, and you, know? you see a lot more of that body language and it was uh, visually shocking i guess in that there was a a set of stairs that a single black police officer was trying to defend and there's there's one white guy addressing him directly and then you know absolutely filled stairwell of people coming up behind him kept pushing him back kept pushing him back kept pushing him back um and you can see in his face uh he was very likely in fear for his life Sure. Um, and that was that was you know fucked up to see. Fucking yeah. crazy. More real time history. I, <laughs> Our grandkids are gonna yeah. have to learn about this shit in school. Yes. The, <laughs> yes. 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 They are. Um, I've heard. A, I've seen a lot of memes and heard a lot of jokes about um, how twenty twenty one is supposed was supposed to be. Uh, mild in comparison to 2020 sure <laughs> that was that was just the appetizer yeah america I, ju- I just want to congratulate you america you didn't even make it a fucking week <laughs> if you're if america's new year's resolution was to be a better human you didn't make it a fucking week it literally was the sixth <laughs> yeah not even seven days well i think you know the the reality of this is is we're living in a perfect storm if you will in that for several decades the political climate that allowed trump to rise to power has been brewing 
So therefore, yes. Trump rose to power. And as Trump uh, continued with his presidency, social media was just beginning to mature. And he absolutely is masterful of using the media in that sense. So as we've talked about before, with the, the siloing of ideas that the echo chambers have allowed, um, Trump was able to codify his base in a way that normally would not be possible. Then we uh, have a pandemic, which forces everybody to isolate even further. Not only do we have a pandemic, but we have a pandemic that has kept people in their houses for 10 months now, or however long it's been. So people are going pretty damn stir crazy. Mm -hmm. The pandemic itself has become politicized. And now it's starting to boil over. So it's not just that Trump is Trump. Um, the system that is in place and the, uh, the circumstances which we find ourselves, all those myriad things, not just the pandemic, not just social media, but everything together of people in isolation that can't actually talk to real life human beings in a way that, frankly, we've evolved to do so effectively. And we have this, this uh, bastardization of communication, really. And, yes, you know, yes. Twitter and social media as the means for communicating not only one of the most important times being an election year with the pandemic and everything, but also the mental burden that comes with that isolation becoming manifest in people's attitudes. Um, and all of that comes together to where we are here today. And lest we think um, we made it through the worst of it. There's absolutely no guarantee of that whatsoever. This could be the beginning. Mm -hmm. Don't think just because Biden is in office and we got a, a blue government right now that that is guaranteed to make anything better. Um, it might on a, on a sense of, of rational leadership. I have hopes in that. So this type of absolute fucking ridiculous nonsense, like inciting a, inciting a riot, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen Trump style, but this no. may actually justify things that are as bad or even worse um, to be allowed to happen in a quote unquote legal manner. So the show's well, yeah, not over, and, folks. And that, that's what I was trying to get at with the, the notion, the, the convoluted notion there of violence yeah. as nonviolence is that, um, among other things, is that... Uh, I think if people get, I think you hit it on the nail on the head about um, thinking that it, being care, being wary of thinking, being of thinking that it's over. This may just be the beginning, and the reaction to this sort of thing could very easily. In America's not special. Nope. Like we like we like to think that we're exceptional, and and there are ways in which America is exceptional, and there are ways in which we should be proud of the um of western thought and the things in the truths that we hold dear and self-evident um and all of that like we have reason to hold our heads high and be proud of who we are but we're people and we're not infallible 
And if we get complacent and just think, oh, Trump was an aberration, we're going to be fine. What is going to happen is our democracy will fall. That will happen. Yep. And I think that it will happen faster than people realize because it always happens faster than people realize. Yes. <laughs> this is literally the argument again, for socialism is that no one's ever done true socialism. It doesn't exist. That's the argument that I'm making right now is that everyone says that and then socialism happens. <laughs> right. That's the point is it's like you you think that it can't get worse and that everything is going to be OK. And that if you just do it right this one time, we're going to be good. And then shit just spirals. And all of a sudden you have a huge snowball and you can't control it. And it's too big of a positive feedback loop. And then people start to die in droves and then totalitarians take over. And it's like, that's the problem, you know, and, and I don't want to necessarily call out socialism specifically for that, though socialism deserves its blame. Totalitarian authoritarian regimes in general, all of them deserve blame for this because that's what happens is that all of a sudden it's like, boom. We yeah, got authoritarianism I, now. It, it, it just... I think you that, don't point to one thing and say that's what it is. That that's why it happened. It's like here's a bunch. Unless it's a military coup, and then it's pretty clear. But that's not how it works anymore. Yeah, we we've been we've kind of figured out how to stop those kinds of things, and particularly in the West. And so what happens is you just get this erosion of power, slowly but surely, over a long period of time, and then boom! All of a sudden, it's like how the fuck did this occur? And it's like because it's been going on for sixty years. Yep, it's been going on for a hundred, for two hundred years, for four hundred years, whatever depending on the country and so read your you history just, kids <laughs> exactly um but yeah so and th that's that's in part why i i, I share these what i assume our, our viewers would uh, believe are uh, absurd theories is because i'm not making these connections because i'm crazy i'm making these connections because i'm educating myself on this shit and they're fairly simple connections to make if you just read what's being written yep you know and it may seem silly to be like there's no way that you can you can say that whiteness is property and people possess whiteness so they are property and that, that you can't be violent towards property so you can be violent towards white people and it's not violent but all of those things are true it just takes one person to actually say it out loud and then enforce it. And then all of a sudden it's true. That's all it takes. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I think Trump is a great example of what happens when you let power get into the wrong hands. I think we are yes. fortunate in that um, he is more of a narcissist above all else, meaning yes. he doesn't necessarily want power for power's sake. He wants power because it makes him look and feel good. And he's going to enrich himself, which he has done, and the people around him, uh, which is all very horrid. But a worse scenario is the same type of person who has the political acumen to get to that level of power, whether it be by accident or by natural mm -hmm. gifts, um, but someone that is more interested in the power of it, in telling people what to do and how to live their lives and yeah. reaching proactively into everyone's life to force them to live the way that they see fit. That, to mm -hmm. me, it, is the biggest danger. We see now that we are vulnerable to it. If Trump yes. can get in, so can some other, like an actual scary fucking dictator. 
Uh, well, it seems from like either he's side, uh, from either side. Yes. This Correct. Could yeah. It, it, it seems like he's uh, he's missing the required megalomania. Right. He's got the he's got the narcissism. Yes. Which isn't always required, but I think it gets confused sometimes with the megalomania, right? Because because it's all about him, right. and there's that there's that there's that quest for power, but the motivation is different, right? I think you're right in that Trump's motivation is more. Um, it's not on power itself; it's on him. Yeah, self-aggrandizement, self-aggrandizement versus power for the sake of power, right? That that's megalomania, and once that person or people, I actually think it'll be a group. I don't think it'll be a person. I think it'll be a group personally. Um, but uh, that that would be my prediction if we see something like this occur, um, and and take over, let's say uh, America. I think it'll be a group of people. Um, but yeah, it, I think there I think would at least right. be a figurehead of some sort. If there's a group like that, they'll they'll be the the front man, as it were. Just because the way the the current political system is set up, um, you need to get a president of some sort in that position yeah. to have the most condensed power. Um, but I mean, much like you know, we, we if you recall the uh, the Cheney presidency, you know, yes, Bush was his front man, but we all know who was running shit. Um, yes, along with right, Rumsfeld right, exactly. and, and those guys, so. Yeah, that's that's nothing new either. No, very very true. Well, we have uh, successfully hit over two hours. All righty. Shall we? Uh... Yeah, let's let's call it. This is, of course, a developing story. We'll have more to talk about this uh, in the upcoming weeks because surely things will happen <laughs> that will be worth talking well, about. And um, we're also having a few guests on over the next uh, few weeks that. Um, We'll be able to discuss this with uh, yes. one in particular, um, Professor uh, Daniel Shiro. Um, he studied. He he's a um, he, he writes history books essentially. I think he's an international studies uh, professor at the UW. I believe that's the the technical um, college that he's under at UW. But uh, he uh, he spent most of his life studying totalitarian authoritarian regimes uh, in the twentieth century. And is a fount of knowledge for uh, the kind of behavior that we're we're witnessing. And so, him in particular, I'm extremely excited to ask about this and what uh, what he what he feels is portends uh, for for our culture going forward. And, and then, obviously, Benjamin Benjamin, yeah, Benjamin Boyce will be another good one, just because he's he's plugged into a lot of the matters here because he he does quite a bit of uh, very good work with regards to. Um, the the political uh, climate currently um he focuses like us a lot on uh what's going on, on the left side of things because he's also a, a a bit of a lefty and um but uh like us he does t he does try and mix it up and get both sides and try and look at things from a uh, more neutral lens and uh um is a big proponent of rationality and reason of which near as i can tell nothing that occurred on wednesday was rational and reasonable so um I'm curious. I'll be curious to get his take. He, and... He's rational and reasonable enough that he has officially been painted as alt right. That's right. Fire. Yep. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Which so that's, that's that... like a progressive badge of honor. If you're if you're like a classic liberal and you get painted as yeah. an alt right, I probably want to hear what you have to say. I don't even think he's a classical liberal too. I think he's actually just a straight up liberal. Okay. 
but I'm going to ask him that. But um, on that note, though, um, that report that came out that showed that it showed that Joe Rogan was an alt-right figure. Yep. Um, his 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 YouTube channel, JRE, Joe yep. Rogan Experience, was a was a alt-right. But it showed that his Joe Rogan Clips YouTube channel, which is a separate channel that he created which to put together small small clips of things of the same conversations. A, yeah. Of literally, it just broken up conversations of his podcasts is moderate <laughs> that came back as moderate yep. but it's literally the same content it's just broken up into 15 minute chunks or eight minute or 30 minute versus four hours yeah so the fact that the pod that the videos were four hours it, my assumption is that that's what makes them all right um, <laughs> it's gotta be nothing yeah nothing else makes any sense to me because they're the exact same um anyways Let's go ahead and call it here. All right. I want to, I want to close on this for anybody yeah. who is, and rightfully so confused and concerned about what's happening right now. Um, if it seems like, oh my God, nothing like this has ever happened before. This is unprecedented. Um, and in certain specific ways it is, but this is really nothing new. Um, look up some historians, go check out your history, get some audio books, Find some podcasts that talk about history because uh, this type of thing has happened many, many times. And if you are looking for answers to what, where, when, why, and how all of this shit has come to be, um, you can find a lot of information to that end by looking at what has already happened. So read yes. your history, kids. Yeah. Very true. Read, read your history. Um, also, Pay attention to the way in which words are being used. Yeah. Um, and I don't just mean this um, as a, as, as a uh, to pick on the left, because that's usually when I'm talking about words and how they're used. I'm, I'm picking on the left because they do the most obvious to me example of this, though in the public, it's not super obvious. The right's been doing this for a very long time as well. The difference is to put it into like a playground uh, metaphor since the 70s the right has been the bully who plays with everyone who doesn't necessarily break the rules he just roughs everyone up and no one says anything because he knows he can get away with it and it's not against the rules he's the really rough basketball player that doesn't quite foul you all the time sure. but you don't like playing with that's the right the left just goes home and then designs a new game waits a very long time and then comes back to you after 20 years and says let's play football and then you think it's uh, european football so you play european football and then they play american football that's the difference here <laughs> okay is is near that's the, the best that i can explain it is that you're playing two different games with one of them and then the other one is being an asshole now they're both really bad and there's a far cry between this on both ends of it going terrible. But that's why it's so hard sometimes to understand a lot of the criticism of the left and why it's a lot easier to understand the criticism on the right is because the right is just blatantly grabbing power because it's not illegal. But it's just not normal. And so everyone's like, what the fuck are you doing? And they're like, fuck you. We, 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 we got shit to do and we can do this. Yeah. Whereas the left hasn't been doing that for a long time. I'm actually worried that they might start doing that, which will be scary, but they've just been slowly and silently in the ac ac academia have been creating their own game. And no one else knows how to play the game. So it's confusing. 
And then when they decide to start playing the game, they're going to play American football when everyone's playing soccer. And everyone playing soccer is going to get tackled really hard <laughs> by, by, by large buff gentlemen in pads and helmets. And it's going to fucking hurt. Like that's that's why I use that example is because there's a huge disparity there, of course. Um, and they will most likely and, change the rules mid game. <laughs> right, exactly. And so they're very, very different, but the outcomes are going to be very, very can be very similar taken to the extreme ends, which is this everyone gets hurt like that. That's the extreme that I want to get across that is the same as that people are going to get hurt at the end. And so go learn the rules, however you feel like doing it on both ends, understand what it is that they're doing. Um, and it'll make things a lot more clear, like as, as I read more about both. Um, I see stuff in the news now. And I'm like, oh, that's where that's coming from. That's why people are saying this. That's why such and such has an issue with this. That's why that phrase means is being said all the time. That's why words or violence is being said all the time. Right? There's a reason for that. Someone came up with that. They've been espousing this and they, they've thought through this academically for 35 years. And now it's being pushed. You know, um, that's why Trump was elected is because. You know, Rand Paul in the 70s started pushing for power. And then it's the direct result of that is that Republicans over the last 40, 50 years have decided to just slowly chip away at all the power that they can take without breaking the law, with the exception of Nixon, who broke the law and then was impeached. To we get to a point to where they elected a president who's basically just been breaking the law, arguably or otherwise, for four years and has really seen no consequences from it. Yeah. Well, in the traditional sense of consequences, right. right? No matter what, just uh, just remember, folks, as you're gathering information, gather from diverse sources. That too, yes. Yeah, whether you're watching uh, what is clearly right-wing media or left-wing media or what may seem to be somewhere in the middle, um, be very conscious of what is an opinion and what is a stated fact. Because news outlets now are more editorial than journalistic. Mm -hmm. However, um, if they're all showing the same video, then that is a documentation of a thing that happened. Consider that to be a fact. These things happened. Um, words that are written down and published and can be verified. Uh, all that versus opinions. Because you're going to get radically different opinions. And both sides are going to try to take advantage of the situation, of the crisis to further their agenda that is to mm -hmm. be expected um so do your best and it's difficult but do your best to filter through all that and look for the overlap in facts from diverse sources if fox news is saying one thing interpreting it one way and uh msnbc is interpreting the same thing differently just look at the thing just look at the thing that's i'm talking about form your own opinion um, but whatever you do, make sure it's from diverse sources because the stories are so radically different. You, you, you have yes. no choice but to think for yourself. You can't trust any, any one organization to tell you how things are. They're just going to tell you what their opinions are. So, yep. That's all I got. Me as well. Everyone, thank you for listening. This has been episode 20 of the Beyond Red and Blue podcast. May you enjoy the rest of your day your morning, your afternoon, your evening, and uh, you'll hear from us soon. Take care, everybody. Peace. Peace.